Well, it's fantastic to be with you. And uh, when we came to uh, Ireland in May of 19, uh, of, uh, sorry to say 18, I'm not that old. Uh, in, in May of 1980, May the 9th, um, and we came north the first time. The first time we spoke in the north was in Old Bessian Tabernacle. Remember? Uh, and uh, you don't remember. Uh, and uh, we, uh, and, and Pastor Bob Edgar in Eunice. And uh, Bob Edgar is, uh, is one of the main reasons we're in Ireland. Because in 78, uh, I didn't know anyone in Ireland. I uh, was pastoring a, a going church in uh, the state of Oklahoma. How many have heard of Oklahoma? How many have heard the song? Oh. <laughs> and the wind does come sweeping down the plain, I'll tell you. Uh, and uh, God spoke to me about Ireland, gave a burden to me about Ireland, coming to Ireland. And I went home and said it to Wilma. And uh, she said then, well, two years ago, I knew that God was going to call us. And, uh, but she said, I didn't tell you because I knew if I said a call, you'd find a saddle and find a horse and you'd be gone. So uh, we, we began to prepare and I made contact with the uh, Simmons of God World Missions and shared my heart. They said, uh, well, at this time, we, we're not really, we don't feel that we should be sending anyone to, the, to, the, to Ireland. And uh, I said, well, and they offered to let me, uh, they said, we've got some wonderful opportunities in the South Pacific. And I tell you, in January and February sometime, I think I wish I'd have went to the South Pacific, right? <laughs> yeah, and uh, so, uh, but I said, uh, by faith, I'll make an application. And when my application arrived in Springfield, Missouri, there was a letter arrived from Pastor Bob Edgar of the uh, Northern Ireland region of the Simmons of God of UK and uh, of Great Britain. And it said, uh, we feel that God has put on a heart for some American missionaries from the Simmons of God to come to Ireland. When God's in charge of your life, he makes what seems to be a disappointment a God appointment. And so then we came and began to build a relationship with Pastor Bob and walked through him through some difficulties and so on. And uh, Bob would be really happy today. He would rejoice in the fact that now we have... Uh, nearly 40 churches in the south of Ireland. Some of those churches have nearly a thousand people in them worshiping the Lord. Can you give Bob and the Lord a big hand? Amen. Amen. I love and uh, uh, will always respect and honor his memory and Bethsaida. And of course now you've moved down. And, uh, and obviously, you're probably going to have to, if this keeps happening, you'll have to go to three services. <laughs> God bless him. He just needs to get fit. <laughs> I'm uh, 78 years old. And some of you are saying, my goodness, you don't look that old. Thank you for thinking that. I sense that. I was in a meeting recently, and I said, I'm 78 years old, and I know no one hardly believes that. And the guy after the service came up, and he said, no, I thought you were 80. <laughs> It wasn't that funny. In fact, sometimes I have words for people, and I thought, Lord, if you give me a word for that fellow, it's going to be hard to be obedient. But anyway, I, I will be in the grace of God. And I love this theme you have here, the invitation. Who have you been inviting? Who have you been inviting? 
When I was 14 years old, the Assembly of God minister began to come to our home and knock on our door. Because there was a time that this man called James Mabry, he's with the Lord now, he's my spiritual father, and uh, James Mabry used to bend his elbow in my dad's pub and bar dad on three at the time. And, uh, but then uh, there, was a, there was that God moment, an power encounter with the Lord. We not only need an encounter with the Lord, we need a power encounter. And God dramatically changed his life. He went off to Bible college. He asked God to send him to the community that needed the love of Jesus. And he sent him to our community. And because he knew my dad and they'd been raised together, he began to knock on our door from the time I was 14 years old until I was... Uh, 18 years old, 19 years old. He came every six weeks. We never darkened the door of his church, but he kept coming. He never bashed us with the Bible. He might leave a track or he might leave a testament and said, you're very welcome. In fact, I sang with a quartet. That was a long time ago. I couldn't hit second tenor now, I can promise you. But I sang with this quartet. And he came and said, why don't you bring your quartet and sing in our church? I said, Pastor Mabry, we, we don't sing your kind of songs. He said, I don't care what you sing. I just want you to come to my church. He was willing to let us belong before we believed. Think about it. He was willing to give us an open invitation. And I remember when God spoke to me, one, one night when I was a smart aleck teenager drinking and coming home driving way too fast and God filled that, that car I was in and spoke to my heart and I thought, if I get Jesus, I want Jesus like Pastor James Mabry has Jesus. And when I was 19, I walked him into his church not intending really to be there. It was a girl I was interested in. And uh, so I went, I was manipulated by my best friend to go to church that night with an automobile and, and the idea of a, uh, uh, of, uh, I didn't have a car, I had a date. And uh, he said, if you use my car, you can have it. If you come to church, you can have it for the whole weekend. And so I walked into a Pentecostal church. I sat in that church halfway through the worship, the spirit of God began to deal with my heart. And the young man leading the service stopped the service, pointed at me, began to prophesy. I didn't know what prophecy was, but he nailed me to the floor. And the next thing I knew, Jesus had come into my life. But think about this. Pastor James Mabry was knocking on the door of a 14-year-old boy running around in a ragged T-shirt and cut-off jeans that would one day, by the grace of God, with a great team of other people, be able to raise up a movement in the nation of Ireland. Whose door are you knocking on? Who are you giving an invitation to? I would like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, the uh, first chapter and verse four. This is really my testimony. I'll not read all of this scripture because I realize everybody plans on getting out by 9.30. But if you would look with us in uh, Jeremiah in the fifth chapter, reading from the, uh, are you sure what? Yes, oh, the New Living Translation. But it says, I knew you in, in Jeremiah the chapter one, verse five. I knew you before I formed you in the mother's womb, before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Know this, your parents or someone may have said to you, you were not planned, you were an accident. We didn't really want you, but God was there at the moment of your conception. He is a plan and a destiny and a purpose for your life. Sovereign God, I said, I can't speak, I'm too young. The Lord replied, don't say I'm too young. 
for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. Don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you. I will protect you, and I have spoken. And the Lord touched my mouth. Look, I have put my words in your mouth, and I've appointed you this day to stand against kingdoms and nations. You will uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow, and then you others will build up and plant. This the Lord said to me, what do you see? I see the branch from an almond tree. And the Lord said, that is right. It means that I am watching and I will certainly carry out my plans. So God's got a plan and a purpose. God bless your word. Bless the reading of your word to our hearts tonight. There is probably no Old Testament prophet that faced a more daunting task than the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, born a son of a priest, born in a time of the reign of wicked king Manasseh. I wanted to make sure you were listening. Manasseh, the man whose name forever will be linked with the giving of children to the god Molech and committing their lives to them and destroying them. Jeremiah came into adulthood during the reign of King, good King Josiah, who sought to implement needed re reforms in the nation. Initially, the response was very positive, but gradually began to subside and to turn back into adultery. He is called the prophet with a harsh message filtered through a broken heart. His own family rejected his message. The Old Testament specialist Farley says, a more crushing burden was never laid upon a mortal man in the history of the nation of Israel. There has never been such an example of intense sincerity, unrelieved suffering, fearless proclamation of God's message, and unwearying intercession of a prophet for his people that is found in the life of Jeremiah. The great tragedy in the life of Jeremiah was although he preached all these years, there was very little, in fact, many times, absolutely none response. How does a man survive? How does a woman survive when they're faced with such adversity? They face that if how did Jeremiah be faithful to God for these many years, suffering greatly, suffering greatly in his body physically, emotionally, and spiritually. How does a man manage, a woman manage to survive in this difficulty? Because God has a plan in our life. And his plan is you and I. Because there's that moment of that divine encounter that moment in our lives when a man meets God, not on his terms, but on God's terms. It isn't orchestrated, it can't be planned, it can't be manipulated, it can't be replicated by any human institution. But at that moment, divine deity enters in, comes across our lives, and we have that moment of divine destiny and our lives are changed forever. It happened that night when I was in Pastor Mabry's church at 19 years old, I had a power encounter. I had a divine intervention in my life. And from that moment, there was transmitted into my heart and spirit, knit in the very fabric of my character, the call and the promise of God. Only a few weeks later, the third, the second night I was in that service, the young man that was leading that prophesied called me up. 
and said there was a young man, Gary, who was saved last night, and he's gonna give his testimony. I didn't know what a testimony was, but this young man was listening to God. Pastor Mabry said, I thought it took me four and a half years to get Gary in this church, and the second time he's here, he will leave church and never come back, but even Pastor Mabry didn't know what God had done. And when I took the mic, I began to weep and cry. I looked to my right, and there sat my old grandmother, Pentecostal the core, that had prayed for me for years. On back two seats sat my uncle, who was a Baptist minister, and he interceded and saved me some real difficulty when the police were, fought, were after me for drag racing. Whatever, he was sitting there and I began to see them and I saw their prayers and I began to share of God's goodness and blessing and the fact that God had set me free that night without even thinking, not even saved 24 hours, I gave an altar call and six of my friends ran to the front and gave their lives to God. Why? Because there was a transmission in my life of his divine purpose and his divine character. I had a sense of call. The third night they told me of the best Baptism and the Holy Spirit. People say today, do we need it? We need it more than we've ever needed it. The role I now serve in, I went back to America at 76 with plans to retire. And God said, I'm gonna refire you. And I was asked to take on a role in our, within our, the state of Oklahoma, we have 470 churches. Our network pastor, a young man that I'd known for many years, and he says I had mentored him when he was younger through my life. He said, Gary, I need you to come on and take this role. We have 100 missionaries around the world. I need you to take pastoral oversight, plus, plus 25 uh, chaplains, plus 90 workers and team challenging. And after I took the job, he kept telling me of all the things I would do. But he said, it'll be part-time salary and part-time work. Well, I'll be honest, it's maybe part-time salary, but it's full-time work. But what else would you do when you get an opportunity to serve the Lord around the world? but I have people that are stationed in places I can't even get tell you their names. I can't even tell you where they're at. But if they didn't have the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, they could not survive in the places they're in. But because of the goodness of God, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, they're seeing breakthroughs. They're seeing individuals have visions of Jesus himself and coming into Christ. Why? Because the fullness of the Holy Spirit say, praise the Lord. So what did he say? He said, I'll give you my plan. This is my plan for you. And you'll know this. We don't know when this happened to Jeremiah. He doesn't talk a lot about it. But his faithful servant, Barak, begins to speak about it. And in every encounter, God was saying, I, God, referring to himself, I, God, formed you. I, God, knew you. I, God, consecrated you. And I, God, appointed you. My goodness, why? Who would not be blessed and encouraged when the God of all heaven, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the great counselor, the Prince of peace, when actually he lays his hand upon us and appoints us. I still remember being in Old Bastion Tabernacle whenever Matt was being ordained and Athena was there with him. And I still remember praying for Matt. And I remember feeling a great strength in my heart for Athena and praying over her and knowing the hand of God was upon 
upon her. The Spirit of God was upon her, that God had anointed her and set her apart, not only Matt, but Athena as well for the work of God. And over the years as we have prayed together and worshiped together, I have seen the manifestation of the Spirit of God that remains upon you, Athena. I speak it over you in a fresh way. I speak God's fresh anointing. I speak God's blessing to rest upon you, to give you further insight, to give you, yes, Spirit of the Lord is there, to give you greater insight. You're a woman whose heart is pure. You're a woman whose heart is after him. You're serving the great king, but I want to tell you, there is more there, and I call more out of you. There is more there that God wants to show you in the realm of the Spirit that he wants you to walk into, be blessed into, and he's equipped you. As you've made yourself available, he's equipped you and anointed you. Can you say praise the Lord, church? Come on, give the Lord a hand. Because God anoints us with the power of his spirit. And he said, not only have I give you, and we don't understand how we do these things. My good friend, so good, I have a good friend, Jeff Lucas. We may have heard of Jeff. There's the word for the day. And Jeff and I became friends many years ago. God just knit us together. I didn't know him. He didn't know me. God knit our hearts together. And I remember whenever we handed over the work of the Lord in, the, in, the, in, uh, in St. Mark's many years ago, I remember he couldn't be there, but he wrote this. He said, it's very mysterious, nearly weird, and wonderful how that God would take somebody from southeastern Oklahoma and bring them to Ireland knit a group of people around them because you can't do it without team and there is no I in team we do it together we link arms together we stand together I've been blessed to have young men and women around me I've had been blessed to have young men and women around me that were much smarter than I were I was but somehow God gave me ability to bring them together because of the whole, I'm a relational animal, so I just love bringing people together. I knew I didn't have what it took, but I knew I must be obedient. You see, it isn't always ours to understand, but it is ours to undertake and to be obedient to what God has said to us. And he says to Jeremiah, he says, my provision is my power for you. He says, do not be afraid, for I am with you to deliver you. Always his call is accompanied by his strength to complete the task he has called you to. And the task he has called you to may seem unattainable except with the empowerment of his strength. There is no substitute for God's power and God's divine enablement. No wonder he told the church, tarry, wait, wait before him till you be endued with power from on high. Oh, we get so involved in, in, in the work of the ministry that we forget the Lord of the ministry. And now recently it just felt like I was going three or four different directions. I felt like the old story about the old, the, in the old Western that the young man, the old fellow runs out of the saloon and jumps on his horse and rides off in four different directions. I felt that way, being pulled. And I got up one morning and I thought, this is not the way it is. I, he, I'm supposed to minister to him first. 
Then he ministers through me and flows through me. And I call my PA and said, I'm not coming in this morning. I've got to walk because it's when I walk, when I spend time with him, when I sit with him, when I sit with a good cup of Irish tea and my Bible and I wait on the Lord that I, and God finds my sweet spot and begins to feed me. Then my spirit begins to be replenished. Amen. Don't get so caught up in the work, in the, in the work of the ministry that we forget the Lord of the ministry. Oh, that wasn't very good response there, friends. I'm very sensitive, very sensitive. I'm an old man, so uh, you didn't have to say me. Anyway, we need to remember that we don't get so involved in ministry that we forget the Lord of the ministry. But he says, my provision is my power. And I've watched it. I've watched it so many times. When God called me to this nation, there was a place in the Lord that I had never walked. But by his grace I come. And I begin to encounter things that were happening among precious Roman Catholic people. They were encountering God, but no one was there to teach them or lead them. But they were having genuine experiences that were life-changing, being saved, being set free, being filled with the Spirit. And as I began to relate to them, I thought, God, I need a greater understanding of spiritual warfare. I need a greater understanding of what you're doing in the gifts of the Spirit. And God began to lead me. And I remember going to a meeting. There were several hundred people in this meeting. It was mainly, it was mainly Roman Catholic people in, in the south of Dublin. And I went to that meeting. And people were kind of standing up and sitting down saying things. And I said, God, how will I relate to these people? They don't care about me. They don't even know who I am. I have no credentials with them or no standing with them. And the Lord said to me, you go to that meeting, you open your mouth and I will fill it. Now I've heard people say that and they say, you open your mouth, you fill it and they never prepare. I said, Lord, I believe I had to prepare. He says, you prepare your heart, I will prepare your mouth. And I remember I walked into that meeting and, I, and uh, as I was in that meeting, and, and the meeting went on for several, for a couple of hours, and the Lord gave me a word of knowledge, and I simply stood up and I began to speak that word, and I sat down. Now here I was with this, uh, you know, my, my mother's English. She just went to be with the Lord, so you've noticed my English accent, have you? Is anybody sitting? No, no. And so I stood up and spoke, and you could have heard a pin drop. And I remember a young lady at the front, she said, that fellow with a funny accent. It sounds like J.R. Ewing. Anybody remember Dallas? <laughs> that sounds like J.R. Ewing. How did he know that about me? And I thought, how did I know that about her? How did I know that about her? Because there's a God in heaven who wants to equip us and we make ourselves available. Then he flows through us and ministers through us. He said to Jeremiah, it is my, do not be afraid. I am with you to deliver you. I will give you my power. We read about the valley of dry bones. And even though he begins to prophesy over these bones and they begin to sort themselves out, begin to align themselves out, sinew comes on, ligaments are formed up on them, flesh begins to appear and they stand up, but they're still immovable. They're dead men walking, zombies with no, with no direction, destructive until the breath of God breathes upon the dry bones, amen. 
the enlivening, energizing power in the bones and the life of the flesh causes a mighty army to rise up. And I say, God, do it again among us. God, breathe upon us once again. Let the wind begin to blow once again. It doesn't only have to happen on the day of Pentecost. It can still blow upon us the breath of God and cause us to be enlivened and energized in the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, going, yes, give the Lord a hand. I remember someone calling me once many years ago and they said, uh, I, I, my, my mother is, is dying and she needs the last rites and, and said, uh, would you drive me to pick up a priest? And I said, uh, okay. And so we go and the priest wasn't available and she said, I know another priest that my mother didn't really like him much but she said, Let's go see if he's available. So she goes and, and uh, asks him, and uh, he wasn't available. And she comes and she's weeping. She sits in the car, and she says, Gary, you're sort of a priest, aren't you? <laughs> well, I am a father. <laughs> Amen? And the Bible, I believe in the priesthood of the believers. The great central truth, one of the great central truths from Luther was the priesthood of all believers. All believers can be anointed and blessed and understand the scriptures. And I said, yes, I believe in the priesthood. Well, I'm not going to tell him. He said, you can go in. And I uh, said, uh, said, I want you to go in and, and pray. And so we, uh, we get there and, and uh, there's, a, there's a little nun there. And, and she says to the nun, she said, uh, this is a priest. Gary's a priest. She looks at me like, and uh, said, uh, I said, well, I am a father. And uh, so she says, uh, but we need some oil. And she says, we have some holy oil from Rome. Well, I want to tell you, God fed Elijah with, the, with ravens. And I can remember as a very young Christian, my friends and I used to go to a place to pray. We were very loud when we prayed. We were very young. We thought God was deaf. So we screamed. So we actually had to leave and go out in the country to pray. And sometimes we were so intense after an hour praying that we'd get a headache. And, and one of my friends got a headache. And so we were very orthodox. So we said, let's pray for him. And somebody said, we don't have any oil. Oh, I said, we do too. Pop the bonnet, pull the dipstick, get the oil. So he had a black cross right on his head. And God touched him. And I remember that and I thought, God's not no problem with this oil, wherever it came from. And I remember I went in and I prayed for, I prayed for this dear lady that had given up. And uh, I prayed for, I can't say I had a lot of faith, I was very nervous. But you see, it's not about whether I'm nervous, it's about being obedient. Faith is just about being obedient to what God has said to us, Reese. It's just we simply, and then he brings the enablement. So I simply prayed for this dear lady. There was, there was no response. And then uh, a lady, the nun came in and she said, uh, I, I think you need to leave. She didn't begin to suss us out, you know. And, and I started to leave and, and uh, I walked out and then the young lady comes in to serve her and there was the biggest bang. I thought, I'm getting out of here. I don't know what's happened. I'm out of here. I went and got in my car and I left. The next night, 
in our Sunday night prayer meeting, the young lady shows up. She stands up. She says, I don't really understand what Gary is about. I don't understand this thing about planting churches. But said the other night he came in, he anointed my mother, and he prayed for her. And then he left. And the young lady that was working with mother, the young nurse came in to check her signs because she knew she was very low. And mother had sit up and asked for a drink. And it scared her so bad she knocked a whole plate over and said, God had healed and touched my mother by the grace of God. You have a mic. You have a mic. You know, that happened several years ago, but God is still at work healing. And I want Wilma to come and just share a testimony of what God has done in her life after 30 years, only very recently. My point of sharing this is, if you're praying for something, don't give up praying. Uh, I had had this condition started a few years after we were here, and uh, it progressively got worse, that indigestion, heartburn. Uh, I, I was like the woman in the Bible that went to many physicians and, and got no, no help. I went to allergists, I went to chiropractors, I went to, I went to all kinds of doctors, and I was prayed for. And every time there was prayer, I went for prayer. Because I believe in prayer. Yes. I wasn't seeing any results, but I still believe. And, and I trusted. And uh, in January, January 13th, we were in a prayer conference. And uh, Gary had spoke that morning. And we were just waiting on the Lord, just praying. And I turned to a lady beside me, and uh, a pastor's wife. And I said, would you pray for me for this? I've been prayed for so many times in so many places in different countries. And she just prayed with such faith that uh, we went for lunch. And I ate Mexican food. You know how spicy Mexican food is? I couldn't eat spice. I couldn't eat dairy. I couldn't eat sugar. Um, the list goes on and on. It was so limited what I could eat. And uh, we came back and prayed some more and went for uh, we were in a cafeteria-like place that evening and ate lasagna, whatever. I went home. I didn't take any antacid. I had been taking so much antacid, I thought this is going to eventually make me worse than, than what I've got. Uh, I slept eight hours that night. Now, I haven't done it since because I'm an old lady. I have to get up. <laughs> but, but I am eating whatever. Except I did tell the Lord I wouldn't eat sugar, so I don't eat sugar. But, but, but if you're praying for something, don't give up praying. Don't give up praying. Keep asking. If you have a loved one you're praying for, don't give up. God still saves. He still heals. And salvation is the greatest miracle. Amen. God bless you all. Amen. It was absolutely a miracle. We used to, women used to carry food. We fly all the time, not because we love it, because it's part of what we're doing today. And she used to carry her own food on the plane. In fact, I remember flying out of, of Hawaii where we had done the convention and they wouldn't let her take her food. I was so angry. She had a lot of grace. I had little. And when I, the guy said, you can't take a food, I said, we're going to be on the plane seven hours. She's nothing to eat. He said, I'm sorry. I said, you're not sorry. You're more than that. And I said, she deserves to take his food. He refused. We walked away. Woman said, you really upset him. I said, I'm going to go back. She said, no, you leave him alone. But anyway, <laughs> God gave her the grace. But I tell you, we hear of healing. It was a miracle. It was done. It was over. 
God just did it because that's what God loves to do. So we don't quit when we pray. Reminds me of a good friend of mine called Keith Williams. Keith is a pastor, one of my best friends. I preach for him usually twice a year or so. Has a great church in eastern Oklahoma. And I remember his mother was a godly woman, prayed all the, her boys into the kingdom, but she never was able to get her husband to follow the Lord. And, uh, and then he got Alzheimer's. I hate Alzheimer's. Amen? I hate dementia. And uh, he got dementia, severe dementia. And they were just going and they were praying because they'd never made a confession of faith. And one day, they were in there and my friend Keith and his wife Kathy were just sitting there and sometimes they'd sit there for two hours. There was no response. And they were just sitting there quietly praying and suddenly Keith's dad said, Keith, he had not spoken in months. Keith, I need to be saved. I need to be saved. And Keith nearly fainted. He said, I began to weep. Kathy began to weep. And then we forgot what he needs to be saved. We need to pray. And said, we prayed with dad. He confessed the Lord. He wept and cried. And for 15 to 20 minutes, he was just dead as he had always been for cruel dementia took his mind. And then dad stopped and he went back to wherever they go. And a few days later, he passed away, but he went to heaven because we don't quit on praying. We keep believing, we keep trusting. And he said, my time is now. And he gives this, the picture of an almond tree. It is a faith lesson because the almond tree flowers in February and bears its fruit in June. Whenever, whenever it's the darkest, you know how dark it is here in February, you know? I mean, the sun, sometimes the sun peeps out and we think it's here and then it leaves and we don't see it for another month. You know what I'm saying? And it just feels, but in, he says, the almond tree begins to bloom. When everything is stripped down, there looks like there's no life in the trees. The almond tree begins to bloom. It produces its fruit in June when the rest are just budding. It's like the robin. The robin comes in February. The robin is a faith bird. And where everything has got snow and the, and the leaves are stripped and the fields are barren, and the robin begins to sing. Spring is coming, spring is coming. The time is coming because it's a faith bird. And I think the faith of God wants to sing over us this tonight here in living hope is the time is now. The time is now. The faith bird wants to sing, spring is coming, spring is coming. And the faith bird would sing over us, God would declare over us, the breakthrough's coming, the answer to prayer is coming, the healing is coming, the prodigal's gonna return, the church is gonna have to do three services, give him strength, hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Got a friend of mine does five, so quit complaining. <laughs> Amen, he wouldn't complain. This is a man of a great, I love this man. I aggravate him, and we, as soon as we see each other, one of us is trying to figure out who can insult the other one the first. <laughs> when I came to Ireland, I was working with someone else, and, and uh, we, we took in a young Irish girl into our home that didn't have any family, and uh, I remember they were always insulting me and saying things, but I, I gave back, I promise you. You know, I, I believe in eye for an eye and tooth. No, anyway, I, I, I would get back and I said to her one day, 
I said, you're always insulting me. And she, you know, they'd get up and they'd balk my ex and say, it's hard to live with a, fly with the eagles when you live with the turkeys, you know, things like that. And, and, uh, and I sat there one night, I said, Mary, how come they insult me? They don't insult my friend. She said, we don't like him. <laughs> I said, I wish you didn't like me so much. <laughs> but I love this man because there's a great strength in this man. There's something great deep within his heart. And I always knew that from all those years ago. And I speak your blessing over my friend and Pastor Matt right now, Lord. I declare your hand is upon him. That you're the one that's put and set him into the Shankill. Because, Lord, you want to do great things. In times past, Lord, when we spoke of the Shankill, it was about the difficulty here and the divisions that were here and, and, and the terror that went on. But we bless you that we believe our time is now. We're like a faith bird, the robin in the middle of February with snow on the ground and the leaves strip in the tree. And we're saying springtime is coming. And we're saying springtime come to the shank hill in Jesus' name. Let it be our time. Let it be our time. Let it be our time. Anoint Pastor Matt, Lord. Give him greater strength. Give him greater insight. Let him see things in the realm of the spirit that he's never seen before. Anoint him. May others see him and the tasks, Lord, you placed upon him, Lord, and begin to relieve him from the tasks because of the greater task that is before us. My friend, Brian Somerville, I believe Brian's with you next week. You know what he says about living hope? He said, many churches, if they disappeared from their area, no one would miss them. He said, if living hope wasn't here, the whole community would listen. I want us to pray. I want us to pray. We've heard the answer to prayer. We've heard God speak to us tonight. We believe this is our time. This is our day. And there are things that God has put in your heart. Dreams that Paul writes to Timothy. He said, remember the laying on of hands. Remember the words that were spoke over you. Sometimes we need to remember the prophetic words that are spoke over us that are as real today as it was those years ago they were spoken, amen? And we need to stir our minds up by way of remembrance. Oh, David in Psalm 77 is complaining how difficult it is. But then he says, my mind goes back to the things that God has done. So we want you to close your eyes. And I want you to let your mind and spirit go back to the great things that God has done. You could have got up and preached this message. You could have got up and told about when you came to the Lord and God saved you, God intervened, and God filled you with the Spirit. It's as old as the cross and as real as the day of Pentecost because it keeps happening in Jesus' name. But you know God has put a promise in your heart. God has put a vision in your spirit of things he desired to do. He has spoken over your life authentic, accurate, prophetic words. He's given you promise from his word because the promises from his word are even more real than any prophetic word that's been spoken to you. And he's given you promises out of the book. And you know it. But you've not seen them come to pass but once again tonight, like a faith bird, the robin, you want to say, it's coming, it's coming. And you'd slip your hand up and say, yes, God has given me a prophetic word, a promise. I have in my heart a promise for my prodigal, a promise for my friend, 
a promise of financial breakthrough and is given that word, would you pray for me? Let me see your hand all over the place. You'd slip it. Yes, 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 yes. God bless you. God bless you. And we're believing for it. And Lord, we ask you right now by the power of your spirit, we ask you for a release, a fresh release of faith. Let there be a leaping in our soul. Let there be a leaping in our soul that says, this is a day that the Lord has made. And we will believe this is our time. Pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, let's pray it together. Come on, Lord Jesus, pray it together. Lord Jesus, we believe this is our day. This is our time. We have the provision of your power in Jesus' name. God bless you. It's been great to minister to you tonight.